Welcome to the Communion Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Erin. And I'm Ramonita. Communion is all about relationships over religion. Relationship with Christ, with ourselves, and with one another. And in a culture that seems so divisive, we're cultivating a community of truth seekers from all walks of life. So whether you have faith, no faith, or have walked away from the church, you are welcome here. We're ready to understand, heal, have tough conversations, and rebuild bridges. So let's get started. Let the reconciliation begin. It's better when we get together. Everything is better. Good. I am recording in a closet of a rental house in North Carolina right now because we're on a family vacation. Communion is just too dang important to skip an episode, to skip recording. So here we are. We love you guys. We'll work out our schedules to keep these episodes coming. Um, but good. We've had a lot of fun on this vacation and gotten to play in the same spots that my brother and I played in when we were little kids. And that's been just so nostalgic and really sweet to get to be here again. That's so special, just creating those memories with your family and for your children, traditions, things that uh, can pass on because they create these feelings that just make you feel good. So that's amazing. I'm so happy that you're getting those sweet and special moments with your boys and extra sweet moments. Yeah, yesterday, Jude, my oldest, asked me to baptize him in the same river, once again, that I grew up playing in my whole entire life. It's so special to me. And randomly in the car on our way to North Carolina, Jude asked John and I, what does it mean to be baptized? And so we were explaining it to him and he thought about it and that was the extent of it. And then yesterday we were playing in the river together and he just said, mommy, I want to always remember this place. And so I was wondering if he would baptize me here and I'm ordained. And even as I was it, you could still baptize. So I baptized him. And then when this, the sweetest manner, my youngest was like, I don't want to turn. I want to be baptized too. So I baptized Asher as well, my youngest, but Kai has not been baptized yet. And truth be told, it's not a lack of his desire to want to follow Jesus. He doesn't really get water up his nose. You don't want to get your hair wet. But I said, it's okay. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do it today. You can still follow Jesus and never be baptized. That's okay. And it was really sweet, really good, sweet, honoring moment for me as a mama to get to baptize two of my boys. So that was really and cool. The experience that, like the gift right. as mom, parents, we pray that our kids will know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. But there's only so much prayer, like, 
at some point, we can give them the resources, we can give them the tools, we can give them the information, but we can't make them follow. We can't make them just make the decision. We can't make them enter into relationship with Jesus. And so to see your boys choosing God at such a young age, choosing to follow Jesus at such a young age, professing that and the foundation that you and John have been giving them is so beautiful and inspiring to me as I raise my girls and think about how to, one, live my life in a way that is honoring to God, not just telling them what that is, but living it out. Because I think that's a big thing, being a parent. Our kids are going to do what we do, not what we say. And they watch a lot more than we suspect that they do and they're paying attention even when we are and every word that we say they're holding tight to and storing as information sometimes to use against you at a later time uh <laughs> but to be able to give that gift to your kid because you're walking in that mm-hmm. i'm just thankful that i get to do life with you and john that i get to mm-hmm. watch you parent ahead of me because your kids are a little bit older than mine watch the manifestation of doing the work that is not always easy that is at times exhausting but then to see the fruits of that is is just absolutely beautiful so i hope that the seeds you planted you are now able to enjoy the harvest and enjoy the fruits of watching your kids walk in relationship with jesus that's just so beautiful thanks t thanks yeah we have to constantly surrender the people that we love the most to God and believe that it's a journey and the path isn't always straight and the path isn't always easy. But I want more than anything for our boys to see a mom and dad who choose to follow Jesus even when it's really hard and even when they are frustrated with the journey. I want them to see that we stick to it because I think that is that example anchors our seas going forward when we have examples of people in our lives who do that and that mess up. Like we really screwed up all the time, but we apologize and we ask for forgiveness and all those things. And we are not perfect and we screw it up all the time surging. I was just telling you earlier when John's not in town I feel like all I do is yell at my kids and just confessing it and being honest it's exhausting and yet I think the apology is what matters I think the ways that we are willing to humble ourselves even to our kids is really important and you and Jeremy are the best parents too and you have the girls that I don't have girls and you had these precious girls who I literally am obsessed with and I watch how brilliant they are and how curious especially Storm is. And I love watching the way that your personalities come out in your children. Mine, my personality definitely comes up my oldest. But then also watching just how they're also watching you and Jeremy and the way that you walk and the way that you follow Jesus. And so it's mutual love, my friend, mutual love. I think it's just like living from a healed place. So it's why I didn't really take 
this whole therapy movement, if you will. I, I used to call it that, but now I've embraced it and I'm part of it and I'm an advocate for it. But I didn't take that as seriously prior to having children because mm. it's just not something I grew up with, didn't understand. It was a bit taboo. But having children, I've been dead set on healing things in me that they won't have to heal from in the future. Because they're trying to pass it on to them, like those generational curses and traumas. I don't want to give that to my kids because I refuse to deal with things. And I was talking to my 12-year-old niece last night, and I was talking to her a little bit about going to therapy and processing things from our childhood and kids always think they know more than their parents and this is why aunts and uncles are so important because I feel like we get to be a voice of reason to advocate for the parent and help kids see things one of the things that I said to her and I was like oh that's good I know you like my one-liners but I was like in order to heal you feel and mm-hmm. sometimes feeling is uncomfortable and it hurts and it's messy And the beautiful part is the other side of that is healing, is freedom. It's a better version of ourselves. But sometimes when we're in the midst of feeling, when we're in the midst of healing, it hurts. It's an ugly version of us. It's one we don't like to be around or sit with. And so we don't want other people to sit with us or be around us. So manifest in a lot of different ways. and. I think these past couple of years have just been that for me during the pandemic to add on to all of it, but Mm -hmm. to be working on this healing journey and really sitting with myself in isolation and allowing myself to feel, but not staying in those fields, working through those fields and seeing the results of that on the other side in my parenting choices, in the way I show up for my kid. And it requires a lot of prayer. It does. <laughs> it does. And it requires a, a lot of vulnerability, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about vulnerability and what that means to take the mask off a bit. I would love for you to kick this off because you gave me this wonderful gift when we started this journey and we started meeting a couple of years ago and you introduced me to a resource in the form of a book that has played a pivotal role in your life and has now played a pivotal role in mine and shaped a lot of what community is. And yeah, I would love to lead us in this conversation and just talk about this book specifically. One note before we jump into that, We were talking about this after we recorded our last episode. You guys, you know by now, if you're in this community with us, that listening to this podcast is just a love fest between T and I because we generally do love each other. This is really, truly our friendship. And I just, I get choked up when I'm like, I get to do this with you. I can't believe I get to do this work with you. And that we get to invite other people into doing this work as well and hoping that relationships and friendships like our friendship come out of it and being a part of this community. So I just love you. And I love that how we don't hide how much we love each other. But yes, I have absolutely no poker face. Okay, yes. So we 
told you all the last episode of our journey of meeting and talking about this concept and this idea of starting what we thought at the time was going to be called Separate Club, because that was the name of our gathering that John and I had in our home. And while we were praying through it and throwing out ideas and talking about different concepts of what we wanted to do, a book that I had read that now has been through like three reiterations of a title kept popping into my mind. And so I asked her, hey, do you want to read a book together? I think it might have some influence and offer some perspective to the vision that we're casting for our future endeavor that we're trying to do. And that book originally was called True Faced. True Faced is the name of the organization. So if you want to check it out, you can go to truefaced.com or .org. I'm sorry, I'll link it below on this podcast. And then the book turned into what's called The Cure, which is what T and I read together. And now I read that it's called, I think, Two Roads, just FYI. So if you're looking for the book on Amazon, those are the three names it might be under, but they're all the same book. So we read The Cure, that title, same content together. And the reason that I brought it up to UT as with because it really profoundly shaped or reshaped my walk with Jesus when I was in a season of a ton of self-doubt, a ton of shame, a ton of performing and being exhausted from performing. And this book was given to us by a, a dear friend who I did Young Life with. And he actually was my boss at the time and he had all of us read it. And I was staff and we read it and it just, honestly, it was the start of my friendship with my best friend, my other best friend besides T, my best friend Jamie in Oregon. Like literally I could tell you so many stories about the book and the influence I had on Jamie. She used to not like me. Sorry, Jamie, I know you listen to this podcast. I'm calling you out. She used to not like me. But I chose her to be my partner to talk about True Face with. We owe our friendship to that book. Because by the end of it, she's like, oh, she's not actually so bad. We started reading this book together. And Titi and I did. And I think I read it like around nine times now. So I should have it by memory. But it always strikes me differently every time I read it. And the concept of it is that there are two rhythms. There's the road of pleasing God, and there's the road of trusting God. And it's this story. It's using this man who finds himself on this road and on this path, and he's trying to figure out which road to go down. And at the end of each road is a different room. At the end of the road of pleasing God is the room of good intentions. And at the end of the road of trusting God is the room of grace. And then it starts to break that down and explain what exists on both those paths and what exists in both those rooms. And it's really an incredible storyline. And you identify with it when you're reading it. And there's also the path of disillusionment, which is a hidden path that exists in between it. And don't worry, on this podcast, we're going to talk actually in two parts. So today's part one, we're going to have a part two. We're going to explain all of this to you and give you the concept because we felt, hey, if this is the foundation of our podcast, 
journey of what we want to offer you, then we, it should probably be something that we talk about. And even something that maybe you guys read or we read as a community all over again together because it, it it's super powerful and it really is, and T, correct me if I'm wrong, but it really is the culmination of everything that we're trying to do in communion. Keeping ourselves authentic, keeping masks off and living as our authentic self, seeing God for who he really is, not who we thought he was. It's learning how much our stories matter, but also how much safety matters. And when we find places of safety where we can share what is true about ourselves, we can start to believe that on our very worst day, God doesn't love us any less, but he loves us the same as he's loved us on our best days, that God loves us so deeply on our very worst day that you're still up, which is a concept that was extremely hard for me to believe as a performer who thought her whole life people love me when I earn their love this book turned it all on its side and it's based in scripture like it's based in truth of scripture but what I love about it is you don't have to be a person of faith to read this book and to still agree with the concepts of what it says and it's not anything that I would give to or fear to give to a person and thinking, oh, maybe it's too Christian. You know, it's like, it is who God's heart really is. It's the way God's heart really is. And I love it. And so we're talking about that today. And I think we can start on the the road of pleasing God. And T, why don't you talk about that road and when you were reading the book, how it had an impact on you? Yeah. I just want to go back to you addressing the book mapping into Christian because what we set out to do when we created this organization, podcast, if you will, when we created communion, we had a couple of defining principles. And the first one was relationship over religion. We were going to emphasize relationships. And the second one was community over church. Then we were going to focus on community, not the organization or the building of a church and the rules of religion, but it was really going to be about the people, the individuals, the relationships. And the reason why this book played such a significant role for me personally was, I know you talked about when you picked it up for the first time, you were in this place of self-doubt and just really struggling. I was, you gave this to me in like we talked about our last episode, my transition season, where I was questioning identity. And in that season of rest, and I talk about this and not to sound like a broken record, but in that season of rest, I discovered why God called me to rest. And it was really because there were two questions that needed to be answered in my life because I was living under false pretenses. I was living under false beliefs. I was living under false doctrine, if you will. And God wanted me to learn the truth of who he was and who he called me to be and who he created me. I know I always talk about those questions and they will come up over and over again because they play such a significant role in my journey, in my belief of who I am, in the belief of the God I serve, in the way I love, in the way I do relationships, in the way I build community, in the things I agree to get involved in, in the way I operate in my home, in the way I parent my children. Those two questions are so huge in defining that for me. 
And what was amazing when we picked up this book was one of the first questions they asked us are, do you want to please God or trust God? And this might sound crazy to some of you because some of you might say, trust God, duh. But that wasn't a cut and dry answer for me. I was like, I don't know. I want to please God. I do. I also want to trust him, but I know I'm better at pleasing God than trusting God. Mm-hmm. I, hello, control freak. I think I'd rub this up with some thigh and I know what's best and I can do God's job. And so the trust, not quite your girl style. I just don't, the trust thing was hard for me. And a lot of the reason why I've been trusting is hard for me is because of some of my senior relationships and things that I'm working through that happened in real life, but specifically my relationship with my own father and the disappointment and the abandonment and the rejection I felt because of the relationship with my earth father. And because of the relationship with that word father, that figure father, I am projecting that on God. And because of some of the things that had happened in my life, some of the trauma, some of the things that I had been through in my life, I would look at God and project those feelings of disappointment, of abandonment, of rejection from my earthly father onto my heavenly father. And when I would do that, I would question God. You want me to trust you, but where were you when this was happening? Why did you allow this to happen? The questions, and we are allowed to ask God those questions. But it goes back to what I talked about last time. Read the whole story. Those things do happen. But Romans 8.28 tells us all things happen for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, bad, good, whatever they happen for the good, for the good that God has called us to. And yes, there might be things in our story that we feel hurt us, are traumatic. We struggle to forgive people or things or even God in those moments, there's redemption and God does use that for his story. But because of what I experienced with my earthly father, I was really struggling with the concept of trusting God in my relationship with him. God, are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? Are you really going to fulfill that promise? Did you really say that? Did I hear you correctly? Were you there? Do you have me? Will you provide for me? All the questions I would ask. And so that trust thing, I really struggle with. And in my life, because I haven't always been able to trust the people who I should have been able to trust in my life, I felt like I can only trust me. And so I started to put a lot of emphasis on me, my way, doing things how I think they are or should be. And so when that question came up immediately at the beginning of the book, do you want to trust God or please God? I was like, I'm pleasing him because one thing I know I can do, I can hustle, I can grind, I can perform. I can do. I'm down for the do. I I am willing to roll up my sleeves and do. What? We said, open up my Bible app before I open up Instagram every morning. Check. Make sure, even if I only open up for one second to read that scripture of the day, best believe I open up my Bible first. Pray every day. God, I'll pray. Oh, same the same grace that I used to pray over my meals when I was in pre-K over every meal because, oh, that's blessing the food. Yep, I'll do that. 
Go to the Bible study. Make sure I don't miss a Sunday at church. Sing the worship song. Pay my tithes. There's this laundry list of things we're supposed to do to be Christian. And I thought all of those things were going to earn my way into heaven. Mm-hmm. And so I read this book as this man chooses the placing uh, path when he's at this fork in the road and he gets to the role of good intentions and there's a plaque at the door and it says, and I want to get this right, but what it says, striving hard to be all that God wants me to be. And that was what my life was marked by. Let me perform my way to love. Let me perform my way. Let me strive. Let me live up to those unrealistic expectations that I have for myself, that other people have of me. Let me overexert, overextend myself. And striving only led me to exhaustion. Yeah. And even still, to this day, I've had to battle that spirit of performance. I got to battle that spirit of proving my worth. I got to battle that spirit of, honey, I can do to earn, to win, to make you believe that I'm deserving of something. It's easy for me to get there. And so reading this book and then learning about the room of grace was so profound for me. And still challenging for me and i know you mentioned it was for you too and so would love for you to then just talk about what that challenge was and what was so challenging when you were learning about what the room of grace represented but yeah well that's so good t we are soul sisters through and through because everything you just said was literally my journey of believing that the only way that anyone was going to love me, including God, was if I pleased them and if I performed really well. And maybe one episode, we'll talk a little bit about our marriages and her husband's because that has also a story for another time for John and I and how I was striving during his love when we first met. But yes, so... You go into the room of good intentions. You go down the path of pleasing God and you enter the room of good intentions. And what do you find in that room? It's not only that plaque, but it says that the guy opened the door and the hostess is there and everyone is manicured. Their makeup is perfect. They're in these perfect conditions. And this guy's feeling pretty haggard along the road. And so he's crap. I better get my ish together. And they ask him the question, or he asks the question, how are you? And they say, I'm fine. I'm fine. You're fine? Yeah. Are you fine? Yeah. We're all fine. Everyone's fine. Everything's fine. We're all fine. And then they ask him back, and how are you? And because they were not vulnerable and because they said everything was fine, he didn't feel the safety of saying how he was really doing. And so he answers back, yeah, I'm, I'm fine too. Yeah, sure. I have no problems. Nothing to complain about. Everything's fine. We're all fine. But when he finds himself in that room, is in a place of despair and further hurt because he is coming to this room feeling really broken and he's met with people who don't actually care to hear how he's really doing. And so in paraphrasing, 
There's more that happens in that room, but read the book. He leaves the room. He does pass some people along that road, and we're going to get back to that. That's the path of disillusionment. But on his way down the new path of trusting God, he knocks on the door of the room of grace, and the hostess answers, and now things chill, and everyone's relaxed. And everyone, I imagine, was like in comfy clothing kind of description. And I love this part, so I'm going to read it. Because it says that the whole room is watching him now, and they ask him the question, how are you doing? And he sees eyebrows tilt in skepticism because he says, I'm sorry. Yes, everything's fine. He took on the former role of the good intentions because he doesn't believe there's a place so safe where the worst of him can be known. And so... Everyone's looking at him when he's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it says the whole room is looking at him and his heart sinks. And he's thinking to himself, I'm so tired of this. And I turn towards the room, all eyes on me, and I yell out to everyone. So everyone can hear him. He says, hey, everybody, listen up. I'm not fine, not fine at all. I haven't been fine for a long time. I'm tired, I'm confused, I'm angry, I'm afraid. I feel guilty and lonely, and that makes me even angrier. I'm sad most of the time, and I pretend I'm not. My life is not working in the moment. I'm so far behind and freaked out about what to do next. I'm almost completely frozen. And if any of you religious kooks knew half of my daily thoughts, you can be on your little club for sure. So again, I'm not doing fine. Thanks for asking. I think I'll go now. And he turns around to leave. And then... He said, it says he turns towards the door and before he has a chance to break down again and grabs the knob, a voice booms in the background and they say, that's it. That's all you got. I'll take your anger, your guilt and dark and to compliance, which leads to the, to disobedience. And I'll raise you a broken marriage, divorce. I'm a horrible father. I suck at my job. And it goes on and on. And I loved that part because it was this unraveling of this guy in a pressure cooker of thinking he hadn't had it all together. And then all of a sudden, these people start confessing back to him how hurt and broken they are. And all of a sudden, because he chose to be authentic, even though he was doing it out of frustration and just imploding, all of a sudden, he starts to experience the room of grace. He gets to experience what it looks like to be in community with people who are asking you to be perfect, that you have space for you to be on a journey instead of having space for you to get your ish together. And so that room and that particular part of the book, and oh, there's so much more to the book that we will talk about. But that was the moment that shifted for me because I saw it. There is a place for real where I don't have to have all my stuff together. There's a place for real that I could be fully known and yet fully loved that exists and then what an even bigger deal to realize that is the truth of who god is we talked about it i don't know in episode two the story of the prodigal son that the father runs towards the the son he's not giving the son a lecture telling him how much he screwed up he's giving his son this space to say i still love you and i know what you've done and i'm holding that space and i love you and I want your relationship with me. And that is really what reshaped 
my view of God and the way that God views and views others. Going back to the sign that was on our door and talked about the one in the first row, but the one in the row of grace, the banner says, standing with God, my sin in front of us, working on it together. That perfectionism that existed in that first row, having to look like you have it all together and all of that you're perfect and well manicured and everything's fine. Everything's fine. I think about that meme where like the house is on fire and the little dog and we're like, it's fine. How often I've been in those um, scenarios. Yep. Because I don't know how to ask for help. But that's another conversation for another day. And so I think about that. And I think so often that is what the church has become or people believe the church is that the corner to enter the door of church you have to be blameless without door as snow no the church and you say this all the time is a hospital it's where you come a mess it's where you come broken it's where you come unhealed it's where you come spiraling whatever you want to call it but the church is not meant for us to come in there looking like we have it all together acting like we have it all together saying everything's fine putting on face wearing pretty clothes whatever no the church should be based on what god intended it to be and what the preface of what the church is is a place for us to go to a savior that can take us in our brokenness that can see us at our worst and still call us love, still call Mm -hmm. us enough, still call us worthy, still call us child, friend, beloved. That is what the church is or should be. And because people think that the church requires them to come in with everything, quote unquote, fine. We are at a place now which is why we started this podcast where so many are walking away. Yeah. Because it became a country club. It's a, you know, country club. Hey, it's a social hour. Those are your people. Make sure you clap your hands on two and four, not one and three, y'all. But on a two or four. <laughs> but make sure you clap your hands. Make sure you sing the song. Make sure you dress a certain way. Be modest. Don't show up too much. Don't come in here with all of this and that and don't bring too much baggage into here. We can't hit clip. And it's not that. And so what I think is amazing about this book is it addresses that. There are people that have stepped into the realm of good intention, a.k.a. the church in some regard or commun- quote-unquote Christian communities that have made you feel like you got to have it all together in order to sit with us. Yeah. And they have been burned. Yeah. And there is a path that it talks about in this book called The Path of Disillusionment. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry for story time, but I want to read specifically what The Path of Disillusionment is because I think it's important for us to address these things and to talk about how we get on that path of disillusionment, how sometimes we can stay there, and then what it could look like for us to move from the path of disillusionment while we're leaving the room of good intention 
but to still yeah. end up in the room of grace. And so here's what it says. It says, they sound like they say, never again leave the room of grace and all its stunning panoramic life-giving surrounding, except to intentionally rescue and stand with those still outside. However, many choose not to stay. As absurd as it sounds, some never even give themselves a chance to choose, a chance to get there. Not all make it back to the fork in the road after leaving the room of good intentions. Scattered along the entire path back towards the fork, you'll find them. Some sit alone, tucked away, almost out of sight. Some collect in two and threes. Many spend the rest of their journey there. The room of good intentions broke and jaded their hearts, robbing them of hope. It made them so sick, they're nearly anesthesiized. I don't even know if that's the right way to pronounce that, but whatever. To believing life can ever be different. Man-made religion has beaten them down. Many are oozing with apathy. They can think of no good reason to try. They simply don't care. Some of God's most passionate, gifted, and dedicated servants are despondent along that road. These wounded express themselves in many forms. Some are cynical and smug, but it's a cover. They're self-protecting from vulnerability. They're still articulate and insightful. They just now speak from the fringes of the arena. They're bleeding from having risk vulnerability in a community that didn't know what to do with it. Some are bitter, lashing out at anything with more structure than an agreed-upon meeting. Some create strongmen, globalizing their enemies into generalized categories so they can ridicule them more easily. When they do get together, they spend much of the time rehearsing their wounds. They talk about what they don't like. Their mantra is mistrust of any authority. They brag of being free from bondage of religion, and they say this often in the same breath they rehearse their wounded identity. They can no longer remember the innocence of trust they've seen too much. For a season, what they are doing can be right and deeply corrective. They see from the vantage point of having little left to lose, but after a while, it makes them unforgiving. And there are now very surrounding them who can help. There are now few, very few surrounding them who can help guide them to forgiveness. No one matures in bitterness. No one gets free in isolation. No one heals rehearsing the testimonies of bad religion. No one gets to love or be loved well in self-protection. Oh, gosh. So much to unpack in that. So much to unpack in that. But I understand hmm. how people can end up there. Yeah, I saw myself there. If I'm being really honest with my mask off. And that's the other part of the room of grace that I was alluding to was in order to exist in the room of grace, you were not able to wear a mask. You had to allow people to see you for who you really were and the worst parts of you and the best parts of you too. I never want to minimize that. The very best parts of us get to be seen and we get to heal and we get to grow. But there's this line in the book that says, when we wear a mask, only our mask receives love. But when we take off the mask, that's when we truly, genuinely, authentically get to receive love. The love that changes our hearts, the love that changes the way that we live. But when we wear a mask and we're guarded, our mask will always be the only thing that will receive love from others. And the room or the path of disillusionment is where I found myself just a couple years ago. I left Young Life. I was really hurt by some situations that had gone down. It happened, and I was also hurting for other people. I, for those of you who are into the Enneagram, 
I'm an Enneagram eight. So I am very justice oriented, very, um, will fight for anyone, especially those who I'm closest to and love. And I was watching some situations go down where I felt like no one was fighting for them. And when I tried to fight for them, I felt like I was met with flash and it was really painful. And I remember leaving being like, God, who are you? And others have left with me. Other people left it around the same time and I did. And I still see them really angry, really bitter, really hurting. And I know that sometimes our journey, and it says that in the book, sometimes our journey will lead us to that place. And it's even justified that we feel that way. But what the difference of the people on the path of disillusionment is that they choose to stay there. They stay in their bitterness. They stay in their hurt. They stay in their pain. And because of that, they don't receive love on the other side of it. Because when your fart is angry and bitter, and my fart has been angry and bitter, I use Young Life as the example. I do believe in the mission and the work that Young Life is doing. So let me be really clear about that on this podcast. People hurt people. That's what happened. But I chose not to stay there. Not so that I could just excuse all that happened. No, it is unexcusable. But because I wasn't willing to allow myself to be deteriorated by it any longer, I needed to heal. And I was never going to get healing from returning back to the place that hurt me. And I wasn't going to get healing from choosing to stay better. And so I had to push myself into a place of choosing to go into a room of grace and start and begin to heal. And the path of disillusionment really strikes a chord with me. And we talked about that when we read this book together, because I was a year out of that season. It was really hard for me to read that part because I thought, dang, that's exactly where I'm at right now. And I know we'll talk about this more in part two, because there's so much to but once you get a lay of the land and find out about these roles and this path, and maybe we can tease it a little bit, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that journey was. You find yourself burnt out on bad religion, still believing in God, but not necessarily believing in people or organizations that you had been a part of. How do you get off of that path of disillusionment? How do you find yourself back in that room of grace? How do you decide not to picnic there and just say, it is what it is. I'm going to reverse this hurt over and over again. (laughs) Wash your hands clean of it. It's a good question. And my answer would be the same answer I give to friends that I've walked alongside through really hard seasons of life. The same question that I ask young life girls I've mentored over the years when they have found themselves in places of completely walking away from faith altogether. And that is, why did you choose to follow Jesus in the first place? And I think for me, that's my anchor. And it's the question I ask myself, even in the midst of my hurt and my pain, I've alluded to in other episodes, it was more than just hurt from an organization. It was really severe church hurt in the ways that I had felt abused and a lot of churches that I've had been a bit of parting, there was a lot to unpack, 
a lot of narratives that have been told that were not true. And I was starting to discover that. And I think when I consider why I chose astrology in the first place, I remember as a high school kid hearing the words, I love you, without expecting a response back. And I had never heard someone say, I love you just because. And for me, that always brings me back and that always reshifts my thinking back to hurt people, like I said before, but also God loves me wholly and purely loves Aaron and he created Aaron for a purpose and he delights in Aaron. And for me to believe those things in the midst of hurt, those things are what start to pull us up. It's like when you're on the ground and you're just spewing, not just hate at others, but a lot of self-hate yourself. And then you have a person who's just standing over you constantly saying, I love you. I love you. Let me remind you who you are. And so that happens in community. That happens in surrounding yourself with people who know you, who remind you who you are on your worst days. And it's people who don't allow you to stay there. A lot of therapy for me. I've been seeing my therapist for, I think, 14 years now. That tells you how really screwed up I am. Just kidding. <laughs> I can really enforce therapy. You don't have to be screwed up. You're all screwed up. Everybody's screwed up. But I love therapy. I have a spiritual director, but I have lots of really good friends. You being one of them, that wouldn't let me stay down. And I think those elements of remembering why I chose apologies of the community I surrounded myself with. And honestly, mental health help is what pulled me out of that. And there's this other page in the book that when I was reading it, reminded me of that season. And it was talking about how it says, setting cell year is all we think about until a new light is wooed forth. We need others to show us God beautifully without condemnation, disgust, unsatisfied demands. We long to obey. It makes our soul sing. And when we've been goaded so long, we've learned to shield ourselves from religion. We'll fight that kind of authority just for the fight. It's what the law does in any form. It makes rebels with people who want to love and be loved. That rebel part. And it says, but there's an incredible phrase in Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The statement shows us that the path we have to take is only by trusting God can we truly please God. If our primary motive is to please God, we'll never please him enough and we'll never learn to trust. Pleasing God is a good desire. It just can't be our primary motivation or it'll imprison our heart. And if we bring to God our, all of our moral striving, we're back at the same lie that put us in need of salvation in the first place. We're stuck in our independent talents, our longing and resolve to make it happen. And this self-sufficient effort to a surge at distance of deity nauseates God. I love that part. But yeah, it's, how even reading it today, a couple episodes ago, I talked about how I feel like a rebel. And I don't necessarily feel that way today because I've done some work to understand that the reason I felt like an, a rebel was because I got hurt and it really pissed me off. And when I get pissed off at things, I'm going to rebel against the people who hurt me. My name is here with us for the summer one. We are having it in conversation last night and she 
was talking about how far middle school is and stuff and how oftentimes she's confronted with the choice of bully or be bullied. And we join in to talk about these kids so that they don't talk about me. And I was like, to just say, I don't want to talk about people. Or can't you just say, I don't want to sit with you. And she said, being alone really sucks, though. And I don't want to be alone. And so now she's confronted with this choice where she's almost scared to speak up and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to partake in those conversations. I don't want to be me because the sense of belonging is like, you got to join in. And so we started to talk about it. She was like, I don't want people all up in my business. I don't want them to know I hurt. I don't want them to know what I'm going through or whatever. And I was like, but don't you think all of the kids that are playing are just doing the same thing? They're all distracted from their own hurts. And she starts to unpack each of their backstories and the things that they've been through. And as she does, the stories were so sad. What 12-year-olds go through. I think about my 12-year-olds. Oh, and I'm like, gosh, such a hard life. Because you are in these situations where there, sometimes there's adults making decisions for you that aren't the best thing for you. Or you can't control your situation. You're not necessarily independent. But you are coming into a greater understanding of the world. and she was talking about their backstories and all I could hear was her people. And I kept just reiterating this point to her, love will heal all. If we choose love, it will heal all. But going back to this path of disillusionment that it talks about, we live in these self-preservation modes, these survival modes, these self-protective modes, doing anything in our power not to get not to put ourselves in vulnerable positions, not to go against the grain and say, you know what? I'm not going to partake in this bullying. I'm not going to partake in being me. I'm going to choose to be kind. I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose to go sit with the kid that gets bullied. That is so hard to do because we are trying to self-protect. We don't want to be isolated. We don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be ridiculed because it hurts. Only until we realize that by us doing that, we give others the permission to do that as well. Ironically. I just had this thought on my heart, like love has the power to heal. Sometimes just hugging a person, sometimes just telling a person, I love you as a person to heal. That has been my medicine for healing my own family. I have taken in multiple members of my family throughout my life and every single one of them has left knowing that they are loved. That Mm. has always been my answer. I love you so much. And sometimes the way that manifests is not perfect. Sometimes it's me being strict, hard, saying the hard thing, having to do the hard things, having to make the hard decision. But it's always out of place of love. And I've watched the result of the healing from love. And so that was on my mind this morning. And I cannot make this up. I was driving up to the highway, busy highway, like busy me, bro. And this cat. I kid you not, backed up traffic because this cat must have broken its back legs or got run over or something. And it was soldier crawling its way across the highway. And I saw the cat. And one, I don't know why I am not an animal person at all. And cats are by far my least favorite animal. But while I was 
watching this cat, I was overcome with so much emotion. Like the determination and the will for that cat to get across the highway to get to safety, one. But then all I thought about was, I hope somebody stops and gets that cat to safety or gives that cat food, does an act of love. That is the only way that cat will survive is through a miraculous act of love. And God used that on my drop where I'm like, oh my God, that is, the answer. That is what we all, like, we all just to love and be loved. We were literally created out of love, for love, to be loved and to give love. That is the answer. But making it's hard because love does require us to be vulnerable. It does require us to take off the mask. It does require us to be seen and it does require us to see people. And yep. that is a of courage in the world we live in today, where bullying, antagonizing, making fun of, canceling, whatever is the way of the world right now because we're self-protecting and self-preserving. It's instinctual to survive that way. But if only we can make the hard and less popular decision to love, even when it's not deserving and by yeah. our standard. Because every day we are loved when we're undeserving. Yep. It's good. That cat yeah. messed me up. I'm not going to lie. So my real question is, did you, do you have a new pet that you're trying to tell no. us about? It's, I pray first, that cat would be loved by somebody. My act of love was praying for what I can. I think that'll work. I don't know if I have that much love in my heart. Plus, it was so, I was so emotional. And in order for me to be emotional over a cat, it had to be something. I was so emotional. Oh my gosh. Gosh, don't tell story. You would have been, she'll be mad at you for not bringing the whole, like, a new pet. But that's, and it's so true, T, not to be cliche, but love changes everything. It does. I am convinced that I cannot sit in the presence of a loving person and stay in a bad mood. And yet, like you said, we have a God who loves us every freaking day of our lives. And we forget that we're in his presence. We forget that God is sitting right there just saying, I love you. I love Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You messed up. I love you. And that love is what inspires us to be better. It's what inspires us to break generational curses. It's what inspires us to do things differently than maybe when you grew up seeing done. And I think that is the beauty of following Christ and knowing who he really is in our in your heart is it's a safe place. And it's what allows us to create spaces of safety as well, because we believe that we have that safety with Christ. And so this is good. And part two, hang on for dear life, because we got more goodness to come from the book, picture or two roads or true face. But think of shameless plug to sign us out. We're going to have these authors on our podcast one day. They're going to explore on, and they're going to talk about this with us more in depth. And in all of the years of studying this and writing this and doing this and teaching this. So shameless plugs, John Lynch, Bruce McWinkle, and Bill Thrall, y'all are coming on our podcast. 
Yes. I, yes. And I actually, I just a fun side note is, you know, six or seven years after I first read the book and Jamie and I were buds, Bruce McNichols came and spoke at a conference in Portland and the same guy who had given me the book got us connected with him and he had us, Jamie and I come and share our story during that conference about our friendship because there's a chapter in there and it's called Two Friends and it's about what does this look like to live out these concepts within relationships within friendships. So anyway, Bruce, I'm going to be calling you soon because we need you on this podcast. Yes. Shameless plug. It's going to happen. Thanks for a good conversation, T. I love you, girl. Love you too, girl. All right. Let the reconciliation begin. Thanks so much for listening today. Want to stay up to date with our episodes? Then subscribe to our podcast and newsletter on our website, come-union.com. Follow us on Instagram at come.union. Rather watch our podcast, then subscribe to our YouTube channel at come underscore union. We are so glad you're a part of this community.